0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Smashed from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Mo Brady. And I'm
1: Aaron Albano.
0: Welcome back, listeners, to our tongue-in-cheek recap of what is television's most detailed depiction of the theater industry. And yep, we're still talking about Smash, the NBC series that chronicled the creation of not one, but two Broadway
1: musicals and all the drama that ensued along the way. We've been going back, episode by episode, to see how this supposed love letter to Broadway has held up over the past decade. In each episode, we're looking to find the answers to these three questions. Did it represent Broadway, then? Does it represent Broadway now? And is it any good? So
0: let's dive in and talk about episode five of season two, The Read-Through. Aaron, give us the stats.
1: The Read-Through premiered on March 5th, 2013. It was written by Liz Tuchillo and directed by David Petrarca, both in their smash debuts. The episode premiered to a viewership of 2.68 million this week, down 0.36 mil from the previous episode.
0: Nobody wants to watch this show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, they don't. (laughs) We didn't have a whole lot of music this week, despite hearing the read-throughs of two different shows. We saw a bombshell fantasy act two opener, complete with tap break, called Public Relations by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman. And a snippet of hit lists, Caught in the Storm by Pasek and Paul, Jeremy Jordan rendition. We also saw a fantasy sequence to a cover of Some Boys, originally by Death Camp for Cutie. And read through that synopsis for us, Mo. I see what you did there. Yep. Bombshell has booked the Belasco. In a walkthrough of their new
0: home, Tom imagines a new second act opener for Bombshell called Public Relations, which looks remarkably like a song from Catch Me If You Can, down to the plane set and the tortoises. Now finishing each other's sandwiches, Uh, Julia and Peter stroll in late to the walkthrough, but thrilled with a new draft of their script they've created together. Despite multiple sexual misconduct allegations, Derek still has friends in high places, well, high enough to get Hit List a spot in the Winter Fringe Festival. But with the festival in just two weeks, Karen and Anna rally Bobby, Jessica, and the rest of their Ensemblist cohorts for a read-through, where they learn that while Jimmy's music is great, Kyle's dialogue and the characters aren't. However, after their failed reading, Jimmy, Kyle, Anna, and Karen crack the code that could turn the show into a success, scrapping the book scenes and making the show sung through. A week into rehearsal for the Broadway revival of Liaisons, Ivy finally meets her co-star, Terry Falls. But Terry doesn't even know his stage left from his stage right, turning a real drama into spam-a-lot. However, Ivy will have none of it, refusing to stoop to conquer and teaching Terry how to act in the process. Ahead of a reading of the new Bombshell script... Julia hears rumors that Peter has purposefully upended other shows by feeding the writers bad ideas, bad enough to be fired. But despite those rumors, this reading goes off swimmingly, with all parties impressed by the rewrites, so much so that Derek Holtz's plans to take Hit List to the fringe, after all. It's an artistic triumph, but their new producer, Jerry Rand, says it's not commercial enough to be a financial hit. Ugh. With a hung jury of creatives... Jerry, Derek, Tom, and Julia leave it up to Eileen to make the decision about which Maryland musical to bring to Broadway. A sexy, provocative, insightful musical, or a lush, dazzling spectacle? Uh, let's talk about the Belasco Theater. Oh. Bombshells going to the Belasco. Now, the Belasco Theater is one of the four theaters on the east side of Broadway. Right. Yeah. The
1: majority of Broadway theaters are all west of Broadway. I think there's the Belasco, the Sondheim the
0: Court, the Hudson. Yeah. The Lyceum.
1: The Lyceum. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My favorite piece of history is that. The producer who built it, Mr. Belasco, had a, like, pocket door put into his office, which is on the top floor of the building, so he could watch rehearsals. Wait,
1: that's fascinating. He had it put in
0: so he could make sure that uh, his wife, who was the star of all of his shows, wouldn't be philandering with directors on stage during rehearsals.
1: Oh, how appropriate. How appropriate (laughs) for Smash.
0: I know what a good story.
1: Um, now, it, the Belasco has its share of
0: hits and flops. It does. Maybe? I was
1: looking. I was looking this up, and what was interesting about the Belasco's hits because they have had hits. Two things recently. One was
0: the Hedwig revival, right? Yes. That was sort of like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was. Um, uh, Network, the Brian Cranston show. So mm-hmm. both of those shows, I think, were commercial hits. However, they were also both shows with like one star that got people to buy tickets and come all the way over to the other side of Seventh Avenue.
1: Yes. What I noticed is that even with its hits and supposed flops, every year, I think since 1999, they've had at least one. Show in it every year, so so it's
0: not a home of any long running shows.
1: No, the longest run they've had in the past two decades was Hedwig, which ran from April twenty fourteen to September twenty fifteen.
0: Yeah, it's not it's it's not like a Gershwin or an O'Neill or a majestic.
1: In terms, it's of no Saint James.
0: Yeah. And we should say now that uh, it is currently home to Girl from the North Country. Yes. Yes. Um, What did you think of Public Relations, the big, splashy Act 2 opener?
1: The first thing I thought of was like, all right, where's the tap break? (laughs) Oh, sure. I feel like it's theater lore that every good Act 2 opener is a tap number of some kind. And so I loved it. When the tap break showed up in the middle of the number.
0: Well, let's be honest. When you see Philip Atmore, who's like a noted Broadway tapper, um, in an ensemble, you're like, uh, there's going to be tap shoes in this thing. Uh
1: (laughs) Uh-huh. And it was great. And I I actually really loved the tap number. I loved the number. I thought the number was great. If we were going off of our theory that cut print moving on was the end of Act One, I thought it led perfectly into public relations opening of Act Two.
0: Yeah, in Bombshell Junior, when schools are doing the one-act version, it will be a great
1: transition
0: from (laughs) Cuthbert moving on. Bombshell
1: Junior.
0: (laughs) Um, No, I liked the number two. The moment I enjoyed the most was actually the sort of back and forth that happens with the um, luggage carts. I love this choreography where Marilyn is basically just like carried around and by... Men and like by different sort of like versions follow.
1: of Christian Borel. Yes. yes, I
0: did have a question about the sort of like racial stereotype Christian Borel. Like, it certainly oh. felt very Broadway, but I was like, would we do this today? Like, is this dated?
1: Oh, today Even in the last
0: that. To I mean, me I think like- I think the
1: show gets away with it because "quote unquote" gets away with it because it's his fantasy sequence. Like a, during the number, all I could think of was. Does Tom Lovett just want to be in the show? Because he keeps putting himself in oh, the sure. show. Oh, sure.
0: This is his fantasy. So Tom just wants to do it all. He wants to direct. He wants to write. He wants to star. You know what? <laughs> maybe he's maybe Tom Lovett's the next Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> there it is. There it is. So <laughs> I want to ask you about this whole idea of the Winter Fringe Festival. Now, I know you're a Broadway baby, and you probably don't really perform below 40th Street. How dare you? But this idea that a musical would be developed at the Winter Fringe Festival, did that ring true for you?
1: Well, okay, because here is a question, and maybe this is showing the truth of your dig at me. (laughs) Is there a Winter Fringe Festival specifically? No, there's no Winter
0: Fringe Festival. This is a made-up festival.
1: So this Winter Fringe Festival is sort of taking the place of all the other theater festivals that actually exist. Like it's just this placeholder. Right,
0: yes. And I think because this season two of Smash is going to take us up to the
1: Tonys. They had to put it in the winter. mm -hmm. That makes sense. And so I think in terms of that, yeah, I think there there are many shows that have come through the system for lack of a better phrase. The most recent one in off the top of my head is Title of Show. Title of Show is literally about them going to the fringe and then going off-Broadway and then going to Broadway. Yes,
0: I agree with you, and then I'm going to add a caveat. There no. are other shows that have come up from the fringe of these other festivals, right? You're in Town, Alter Boys, Next to Normal. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like the last time we really saw that was around this time of Smash. Can you think of a show in the last eight years that had this festival trajectory? is this something that dates the show? Huh. Because when I watched it, I was like, I don't feel like this is real. And then I thought back and I remembered all of these instances of shows coming up through the fringe. And I was like, oh, it is real. But the reason I don't feel like it's real is because I don't see it anymore. Yeah.
1: And I feel like that's somewhat of a tragedy of the way our industry has kind of moved, isn't it? To me, it feels like,
0: one of the major downfalls of New York theater is how it's Broadway and everything else, right? There's a real big delineation. Like yes. if you've got a theater with 500 seats, you tell these kinds of stories to these kinds of people. And if you have a theater with 499 seats or fewer, you tell these kinds of stories to these kinds Absolutely. Of people, right, right. And that's like the Tony's only work with Broadway theaters. And so then you get this sort of like, a cast system, which they don't have as much in the West End. You can win an Olivier Award for performing in a theater with fewer than
1: 500 seats. Yeah. In
0: the Drama Desk Award, every single nominee for Outstanding New Musical was off-Broadway, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, um, the Drama Desk is, without speaking out of turn, it's sort of the great equalizer, where it's off-Broadway and Broadway all in one award show.
0: And j- it proves that sometimes the best theater <laughs> is never going to make it to Broadway because it's in smaller venues.
1: Yeah, which resonates in the the top conflict of this episode, which we'll get to in a second. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh-huh.
0: Let, let's take a detour and talk about liaisons because yeah. in this episode, we're not talking about the creation of two Broadway musicals, but two Broadway musicals, and a Broadway revival. Yeah. It does have Sean Hayes and Vian Cox, so, you know, you're doing okay.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and Ivy's making her star turn.
0: Star, she... So why why do we have liaisons? In your opinion, why does this Broadway revival show up in the story of, what, of these two musicals? Why are we taking a detour?
1: Well, it's definitely... It's definitely a show, to show what Ivy's doing. Clearly... Ivy's been run out of bombshell, and she has nothing to do with Hit List, and she's one of our main characters, so we gotta see what she's doing, but I think it's a valuable insight into how she's still growing. Like, we see Liaisons, which is her big break into principal work, and then we see Terry Falls, played by Sean Hayes, who is basically Rebecca Duval Part 2. He walks into this room, not knowing what he's doing. And everyone just bows to his will, and she's seen it before. And my favorite thing about it is that this time, she doesn't sort of go with the flow. She actually stands up for her work.
0: Gosh, you are reading so much more character development into this show than I ever did. <laughs> like of course, of course that's the reason that liaison exists, right? Look at this character development. There's so yeah. many reasons we all love Ivy. Ivy's
1: um, fantastic uh, Yeah. And then Season yeah. two Ivy is Season Two Ivy is my MVP for sure.
0: Um and then also we get like Ivy is Mother Henigan, and I love I love some Ivy is Mother Hen, right? Like she is imparting words of wisdom.
1: Well, it's the way she. This is how we want to watch people wear their experience, right? Like mm-hmm. people who just tout and wear their resume on their sleeves, as if you should bow to them. No one wants to do that, but if you just lead by example and like show your maturity and your experience in your work ethic then people believe that you're the legend that you really are. And that's what we're getting to see Ivy do and be different from season one to season two.
0: All right, let's talk about this reading of Hit List. The speaking of people with of, no experience. Yeah, speaking of people with no experience, the first act of Hit List that takes place in... In Kyle and Jimmy's apartment. First off, I want to talk about this apartment. This set of <laughs> Jimmy and Kyle's apartment drives me crazy. It's what wild. is this? Do they do what do, do Struggling composers live in these like law. Lo- it feels like it's very rent, right? So, it feels like yeah. So like, they're, theoretically,
1: what? they're in Greenpoint, right? We discovered that in one of the previous episodes. So this is Brooklyn, this is Greenpoint, and clearly one of them, if not both of them, come from money. Exactly. Their apartment feels very friends. It feels very like on a soundstage in LA pretending what New York actually is. Uh, But apartment aside, how did you feel about this reading?
0: (laughs) Now that we're talking about turning Hit List into a sung-through show, all of these things that signal it being a bad show sort of makes sense to me, you know? Like the things that yeah. Kyle said when he was giving the show rundown, there's all these other characters too, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, oh, okay. It was, it was projecting that Hit List is a bad show. And it's oh. funny
1: because we've been talking about, like, what's Kyle doing here? And now we're seeing in the episode sort of validation of that mindset <laughs> because Bobby, our, our soothsayer of all things Broadway, is like... Yeah, it's not good. (laughs) Kyle flips out and I'm just like, what did you expect? Did you think that this was going to be perfect? Your first go at it?
0: It feels like we've never seen Kyle work at the thing. We've Uh only seen Kyle work at making connections or wrangling Jimmy's process. Yeah. If the book's the bad part, then maybe he should just work harder.
1: If the book's the bad part, why is the solution to cut the book? Why not just work on it a little more?
0: Sure, I mean it doesn't seem like he's got a natural talent for the thing that he's doing right now. Like if I was Kyle, I would sit him down and be like, "Maybe you aren't a book writer." Or maybe you aren't a book writer not because you're not good at it, because but because you're not working at it,
1: right? Yeah, you haven't developed the skill. To be a better book writer. Why is it just the book writers that are bad at their
0: jobs (laughs) in Smash? I mean, I can sort of get it from a, like, a Smash standpoint of, like, you don't want to put bad songs on your television show on NBC. It's, like, easier to have good songs and, like, a bad quote-unquote script that we never see. But it is funny that, like, in both of these musicals, it's the book that's the problem.
1: Yeah, I don't know why.
0: But well the book was the problem in Bombshell until Julia wrote a Pulitzer prize winning masterpiece
1: apparently right But okay so we, we're we're here at Bombshell and now it's got its fantastic new script and Jerry says it's too good for Broadway Gosh that just hurts doesn't it You're like oh. is too good for Broadway really a thing
0: I would say no mm-hmm. I think that good is good and uh-huh. that is something that doesn't ring true. I mean, especially maybe maybe this is where Smash feels dated is like the musicals that win best musical at the Tony Awards, Dear uh-huh. Evan Hansen, The Band's Visit, Hades Town, right? Like they're all these like small artsy musicals, right? It's uh-huh. the big shows recently haven't been um like celebrated in that way. And so that's where Jerry's statement doesn't ring true. I think if this new version of Bombshell is good, yeah. then it's good enough for Broadway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there has definitely been a turn, at least if we're using the Tonys as a gauge. These Tony-winning musicals are also wild commercial successes. You can't get a ticket to Town Five years later, you still can't get a ticket to Hamilton. And these shows... Are markedly brilliant art. Are you
0: intrigued by this new version of Bombshell? Like, are you excited by it?
1: I. You want to know why I'm excited about it? Is because. Yes, I just asked you. I know. Shh. <laughs> the reason I'm most excited about it is because it's finally. Again, the show's projecting this, but it's finally art that people are excited about. And it's the art, and it's the storytelling that people are excited about. Sure. It's not the lush costumes. It's not the lush, like, numbers. It's not, like, the brilliant movie star. It's none of the aesthetics of the show that people are excited about anymore. It's the bones of the show. It's a story worth telling. Yes. And that's where I'm, like... Give this new show a shot, because if it it truly is as good as we see it is, if it really took the breath away of that entire conference room, then that's what real art should be doing. And people will pay for art like that.
0: To keep up to date with next week's recap, be sure to watch season two, episode six of Smash, entitled The Fringe. I guess we are going to The Fringe. We Um, are. You can find Smash episodes at either the NBC app or at NBC.com.
1: The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Aaron Albano and
0: me, Mo Brady. There are two great ways you can be helping The Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and the second is by becoming a Patreon member, which you can do at patreon.com slash The Ensemblist.
1: You can subscribe to The Ensemblist on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or listen to all of our episodes on bpn.fm.
0: Oh, and make sure you're following Smashed on bpn.fm because we have our own feed there now. Oh,
1: yay! Yay!
0: And make sure you're following us on Instagram. Thanks for listening, guys.
1: Until next time.